Hey everybody, welcome to episode 49 of Two Views Movies Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Two Views Movies Podcast, a spoiler-filled podcast by two guys who love watching movies almost as much as we love arguing about them. I'm Garrett. And I'm Carson. And episode 49 is all about the newest Spike Lee joint, Black Klansman, which I admittedly have only seen a handful of Spike Lee movies, and probably none that really matter, if that makes sense. Yeah, I've seen uh, He Got Game. Yeah. And... Old Boy. Old Boy. Yeah, I forgot that was Spike Lee. Yeah, it was trash. There's a few others in there that I've seen. I've not seen... I've seen parts of Malcolm X, but I've not seen the whole thing. Yeah. So I felt kind of guilty when we got to the end of our, you know, when we usually prepare ourselves and everything. We're talking about what should you compare it to? Because I was like, well, this might have been a good time to have seen some other Spike Lee movies to <laughs> right. see if it's like if this is normal for Spike Lee. I guess his heyday was kind of in the time period where I would not have been watching movies like that. Yeah, and I don't think this is like a lot of his other movies. I mean, I have no basis for that. Though. That's why I'm saying because tonally. This movie goes back and forth uh, a lot, I think, and the humor side of it isn't really Spike Lee. I don't know. I mean, I, for, I don't from know. what I've seen. <laughs> from what I've seen, he, like, like it was on a different path than him. Uh, and then the other, the other heavier stuff that's more Spike Lee, from what I, what I remember in all the other movies. Yeah, but the comedy piece wasn't isn't really his mo. Yeah, I wonder how many younger people even know Spike Lee, like other than being in the commercials with Sam and Chuck <laughs> during basketball <laughs> season for Cap One. Right. Otherwise, I, I mean, he hasn't. Yeah, it's kind of mean to say, I guess, but he hasn't been overly relevant in the last decade, I guess. Yeah, and Son of Sam has another one, but that was not, yeah not good. But I mean, his his heyday was like the early nineties, like Do the Right Thing and Jungle Fever and stuff like that. So, yeah, but. I do think that their the trailers probably got a lot of butts in the seat that maybe didn't know what to expect. I mean, if you didn't know who Spike Lee was, right? So it'll be interesting to talk about that a bit more. So we previewed this, but obviously, as usual, we're going to run through the blurb really quick. Ron Stallworth, an African-American police officer from Colorado, successfully manages to infiltrate the local Ku Klux Klan and become the head of the local chapter. As we mentioned, it's directed by Spike Lee, who has done Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, He Got Game, Inside Man. So that's another one that I know we've both seen. As far as the cast goes, we mentioned this in the preview, but John David Washington, who we learned right around the time of the preview, is Denzel Washington's son. Right. <laughs> and played in the NFL as a backup running back. Yeah, for the Rams. Yeah. Uh, learning all sorts of stuff. Well, that and I've watched Ballers for the past three years. Yeah, I saw that he's in that. And didn't know that was Denzel's son. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, I didn't even know that that was him in this movie. Yeah. Just from, he has a different beard, different hair, you know, <laughs> and then... uh at, it was in the movie where I, I realized that it was the same guy and I was like, Oh wait, you know, yeah, that's Ricky <laughs> bowlers was, I don't watch it, but that just came up in an article that I read recently too. Cause I'd, I'd kind of caught on to the Denzel son and the, the running back thing, but I hadn't seen any mention of bowlers. I thought this was still like his first big role, but me too. I mean, maybe movie wise it is, but clearly if you've been in bowlers for three years or whatever it is, that's, that's decent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so besides him, we've got Adam driver, 
Topher Grace, Laura Harrier, who you probably don't know by name, but that was Peter Parker's girlfriend in Spider-Man Homecoming. Right. And then Corey Hawkins, who, again, you probably don't know by name, but was Dre in Straight Outta Compton. So there's a few other people sprinkled throughout. (laughs) One guy that it drove me nuts. I could not place it. And I still couldn't even place it when I walked out of the theater, and my wife had to tell me who it was. But the fat guy who's in the KKK, <laughs> the dumb guy. I he's in I, Tanya? Yes, he's in I, Tanya. He plays uh, Jeff Galuli. Or no, wait. His bodyguard. Yeah, because Jeff's the husband. Right. And all I could picture was fat Haley Joel Osment from Silicon Valley. And I'm like, that's <laughs> not who this is. But I, I could not get it out of my head. And finally, just like, oh, yeah, he's in I, Tanya. I think there's really just two halves to this whole movie. And it's really hard to talk about this movie without talking about it in two halves. The whole time, you know, I think everybody who saw the trailer was sold on the buddy cop aspect. Like, it's it's pretty funny. It's Adam Driver, a white dude, and, a, uh, you know, Ron Stallworth is, well, Denzel Washington's son, but Ron plays Ron Stallworth. And they're they're infiltrating the KKK, but it's funny because it's the black guy who calls the KKK using his white voice, like, sorry to bother you. Right. And... You have that whole storyline about it's kind of a generic um, undercover cop story with a little bit of humor. I mean, you've seen it a million times before, you know, guys wearing wires and the cops trying to infiltrate a bad group. So you have that going on, which feels like a whole movie in and of itself. And then at different junctures across the movie, it's like Spike Lee takes about five minutes at a time and has a character deliver some kind of monologue that is espousing you know civil rights and you know it takes place in the 70s so whatever's going on in the 70s at that time references to black panther uh you know the civil rights movement stuff like that so to me he didn't really weave those in very seamlessly no no it was almost like he said now that i have your attention I'm going to talk about this for just a minute and then I'll get you back to your regular scheduled program. Right. You know, and so they were almost, uh, almost little intermissions that just, I felt like there's a better way of doing what he was trying to do, but I think the way he did it detracted from the rest of the story. Yeah. The first one is when, you know, Ron first goes undercover and they tell him to go to that black Panther meeting. So that one at least had context, right? But even then, it's still Corey Hawkins talking for five minutes, like truly giving a speech for like five minutes. Yeah, that, that was a pretty long scene. Yeah, and again, the, I don't have any problem with the content. I don't have any problem with how it relates to, I mean, modern times or the 70s at that time. It's just long. You know, right. it's it's a five-minute monologue, and you're like, okay, yeah, I get the point. And it's, it's perfectly fine, I guess, but... It's like it's like coming to a stoplight and yeah. waiting there, and the stoplight cycles through like three or four times before your light goes green. You're like, "What's going on? Why, why aren't we moving?" It's a momentum killer from yeah. from everything that they've they've built so far. They get you invested in this character, and he's going undercover, and then all you see of this character is just him watching, right? Watching this guy give a speech. Yeah, and yeah. They do tie it to the the rest of the story, but again, it, it goes on far too long for this, the Ron story that I, yeah. I think they should be telling. Right, uh, agreed. And I, I can't. I know there's one other time specifically where they do that. I mean, the movie kind of leads off like that too, right? There's that Alec Baldwin scene that takes about five minutes where he's playing 
Did they ever explain who he was or what they, that they, was? They flashed it up at the beginning who he was supposed to be. And I, I honestly don't remember if that was a real person or not. I, I didn't. Whoever it was, I, I don't think I I'm, recognized. I'm assuming it was a real person. I would assume so. But, I mean, he was basically trying to narrate a, uh, you know, a propaganda KKK video. Propaganda yeah. video. Yeah. So they had that one, which was okay because it was the beginning of the movie because you're kind of like, okay, whatever. You're not really going anywhere at that point. Right. But then the other one that they do later, again, is within context what Harry Belafonte is talking about one of the incidents from like the 1800s or early 1900s where somebody, a black person was lynched and he's going through the whole thing describing what happened. I mean, it's horrifying. Right. And again, it, it kind of makes sense in context because what's happened is the black student union is listening to him speak. And in this one, he at least kind of jumps back and forth between Harry Belafonte and Topher Grace giving a speech for the KKK. Well, see, and I, and I, on that one, I felt like you should have stayed there because I felt like it, it detracted from it to hop away from it. Yeah. And so it was like, like both one, both ways that he did it, I thought just felt wrong for the timing of the movie that it's, I want to stay here and listen to the story. Cause you keep taking me away here and then I'm, I'm losing where, where we were, you know, in your story. Yeah. And I felt like it, we should have stayed there for that entire thing, you know, for, for his, and it just, it just seemed off and then you have people behind the scenes rushing going really fast you know trying to there's a bomb and and everything going on but then these two speeches are really slow yeah you know it just it just didn't like again i I keep going back to the tone the tone felt off you know throughout the movie like you could you could splice this into like you mentioned two different movies that felt the same right but they'd be different movies (laughs) yeah and i i think we're saying the same thing i I mean, it's it was impossible to sit there during the Harry Belafonte speech and not be like just completely mortified because he's telling a true story. It's not a fake story in the movie, so it's it's relevant. It resonates with you. It just feels like again, the, like you said, the flow is gone. So my critiques with all of these things that Spike Lee does, again, it's not from the fact that it doesn't resonate. It's not from the fact that it's not relevant. It works in a certain construct, but when you piece it all together as a whole, as a film, it that's where it starts to feel disjointed. Right. I think there was a, like you said, there's a better way of weaving this stuff in. And and truthfully, I don't think he was trying to weave it in. No. I, I think no. this, I think he achieved his goal. I think he wanted to hit the brakes and just smash you over the head with what it is. Because it's not like that's the only time you get messaging in this movie. You get a lot of it, even through the main story of Ron and Adam driver and those guys, because Adam driver's Jewish and he's trying to infiltrate the KKK too. And, you know, Ron's trying to find his place in the city as a cop. And all of his friends are, are anti-cop or the people he's hanging out with. So there's, there's a lot of stuff going on just in Ron's life and even in Adam driver's life. So you get a lot of that. And, so it wasn't necessarily needed, but that's what makes me think Spike Lee was like, here, I'm going to give you a little bit of it. And just in case you're not picking up what I'm laying out here in the normal movie, I'm going to hit you right in the face with it. Right. And that's, that's where my, my critiques come in, where I thought there was enough in Ron's story alone to get the message across. And you know, even from the him walking by the shooting range targets that were clearly yeah. you know, African-Americans running. Yeah, you know, and that's what they were shooting at. I mean, those images 
and the way they, they shot that scene, that's some pretty powerful stuff, you know, and just in just telling his story, I think was enough to to make a really not only powerful movie, but but great movie altogether. Yeah. It's weird to say it, but it's a it's a hate filled movie. It's really uncomfortable. I mean, there's just hatred everywhere, right? I mean, you have the good guys who are not about hatred, but it's just it just permeates everything in the movie. Well, and I think that's where the Alec Baldwin set you off with it. So while his speech doesn't really tie together with anything else, but it sets you on the, this is what the KKK is about. In case you don't know, the KKK is full of hate. This is how we, this is how we as the clan think of people, you know? And so it sets you off with, okay, we're already, we're already not liking these guys. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't know, if <laughs> right. you didn't know enough to, to not like them. Right. Maybe Spike was kind of taking that approach that, hey, you know, there's going to be 18 and 20-year-olds see this movie who the clan is mythical to them. So let's remind them of what it really was, not maybe some what he thinks is maybe a, a watered-down version of it today, which he does kind of say in the movie. Yeah. I really enjoyed the, the Ron Stallworth story. Yeah, I love the Ron Stallworth story. I thought from him applying uh, to be a cop, to him setting his own task force, I guess, his own case. What, what, what am I trying to say? Yeah, he he basically asked to be an undercover, and they said okay because he could go to this Black Panther thing, but then he just responded to an ad in the paper, and it spawned his own investigation into the KKK. Yeah, lead investigator. And yeah. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. But but the uh, – and, so, and we talked about this in the preview of – and I hope that they would explain it better – uh, of why he continued to talk on the phone. Yeah, that you makes know. no sense. <laughs> and so, so Ron Stallworth calls the KKK, acting like a white guy, and then they set up a meet, and Adam Driver goes to meet him. But then because Ron can't because go. Ron can't go because <laughs> right. he's black. Right. And so Adam Driver goes to meet him because he's white, and then every other phone conversation is still Ron Stallworth. Yeah. Like. And then so him and Adam Driver have to keep reminding each other what they say in their meetings, you know, to not trip up. It's, like, that, it's one step too far. Like, right. like you're making this a lot harder than it has to be. You, you know, you're completely right. I would love, so I, it, it's based on a book. It's, you know, it's all a true story. And, I, and right. a lot of it is actually fairly true from what I read in some articles. But I, I would love to read what the justification was for that. Because it doesn't make sense why you would make it that much harder on yourself. No. Having two guys have to remember the same story, the same details, all those kinds of things. I mean, it's hard enough to be an undercover person to remember all the fragments of stories that you're making up on your own, but let alone to translate all of that to somebody else. Yeah, it seems like it's risky for not a reward that makes any sense. I get, I get the first one. Oh yeah, you know, and then then but beyond that, it's like let's just have Adam Adam talk to him on the, yeah. on the phone. Well, and I read in an article that so the fact that he used his real name is true, right? And he said he did that because he he just thought they were going to mail him some pamphlets or something like that. He did not expect a phone call back. So I thought that was a great scene when Adam turned around and said, did I hear you just say your real name? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, right. Like, his face just drops. <laughs> well, and on top of the voice stuff, just if you're you know playing the, the movie logic game or I guess real life logic game, but from a movie standpoint, like casting Adam Driver 
Adam Driver can't do a quote-unquote white guy voice. No. <laughs> Adam Driver has got one of the most unique voices in the world. Like, he sounds like Kylo Ren without a mask. You know what I mean? Like, his voice just sounds like that. Right. So he can't... It was funny to watch him in the movie try and do... He didn't sound any different. So He was. He, he, he sounded was, more nasally, but it wasn't anything like white guy voice. And he definitely didn't do it when he was actually with the clan. Yeah. You know? No. And, and so I was like, how are you mistaking these two? Yeah. And what they sound and like. And they address it one time. He's like, oh, I got allergies or something like that. Right. And I guess that part's true, too. I read an article that they questioned Ron over the phone about his voice. He's like, oh, I got allergies or something. And they bought it. They bought it. I mean, right. I don't know They're that not, we're dealing with. Yeah, they're not bright but, individuals. Yeah. If no, you're joining the clan anyway. And Spike Lee didn't paint them as bright individuals by any means. No. So I like how they, they put the clan meetings in basically this guy's basement. Yeah. You know. Just to show you how they're just just trash. Yeah, and the and the clan followed, I guess, some pretty typical typecasting. You've got the leader, or you've always got one guy who's kind of off the cuff. Yeah, one guy who's a wild card, one guy who's a complete moron, and one guy who's smart but clearly is scared of the guy who's the wild card. I mean, yeah. there's always this really normal setup for the villains in movies and, and they they fit that pretty well yeah and i didn't recognize who the, who the main guy was the, no we looked him up too and he's been in a few things but not a whole lot the head guy yeah and then uh johnny ringo the wild card <laughs> he did he did he, give off a johnny ringo vibe he looked, I, that's the only thing that was going through my head is this is johnny ringo <laughs> yeah he looked exactly not only his facial hair but just he looks Spitting image. Yeah, that's a good call. I didn't. I did not get that. Now, because he even has the little. Uh, he's got the same kind of facial hair going. Yeah, too. he got the mustache and the little soul patch. Yeah, that's right. Hair, good, good hair slick back. No, that for, as soon as I saw him, <laughs> Johnny Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think of Topher Grace? I mean, I thought he was Topher Grace. I thought he was perfect. Well, I I don't know David Duke. Well, I don't either. But I mean, he he struck me as. Kind of the little scrawny, almost pervy kind of like guy that would be the person that runs the KKK. You know, he's not going to be the guy you see in jail movies where he's like, you know, 280 pound muscle bound guy with swastikas on his head. He's a skinhead. Yeah. He's a little twerp who, you know, runs the KKK. He always plays a good twerp. Yeah. You know, and that's. That's that's, what I'm saying. I think think that's what they're going for. You know, and there was one scene where they almost made him try to be sinister yeah like when like all of a sudden he got that the glare the yeah. glare on but i was like that, that doesn't work was it right me. after the polaroid was it i'm trying to remember there's just one scene where he was yeah, yeah i think it was right after the polaroid that was the one time where he like got a little intense with his demeanor otherwise yeah. he was just kind of i don't know i don't know what the right word for him is but you you could tell that you know, he's not a guy that should be respected in any way, but, you know, not all these intimidating, people, yeah, yeah, all these people nothing. follow him because of the nonsense that he spews, but he's, you know, any of the three, you know, knuckleheads that we just talked about that were running the KKK chapter in Colorado Springs could have, you know, whipped his ass in like a minute. Right. But yeah. I, I thought it was good. I, I'm not a big Topher Grace fan, but that, I thought he played what I envisioned David Duke to be like pretty well. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it fit definitely the movie that they were going for of him. You know, talking on the phone, think he's talking to a friend. Yeah. You know, and just being duped. You know, he's, he's, he, he looked like he was dumb enough to be duped. Yeah. You know, and so, no, I thought he did. I thought he did well. I Yeah. I liked all the casting. Everybody was great. I, I really liked all the acting, too. There wasn't anybody I had a problem with acting-wise. Well, okay. So, 
you mentioned this earlier. He's, we set the bar of now this is Denzel's son. Mm-hmm. And so unfairly, you know, he's now being compared in my mind to Denzel, which is impossible, yeah. you know, to, to match. But then once I recognized him from Ballers, it's he felt very stiff to me. And it was like, I felt like he was doing a white guy voice the entire movie. Yeah. And because I know him as Ricky, you know, in Ballers, where he felt more natural, you know, and just, and, and I don't know what the real him is. I've only seen him in these two, which are right. completely different, you know, portrayals of these actors that he's, these characters that he's doing. But he just, he felt a little stiff to me. And I don't know if. I think it was intentional. And I think they addressed it in the movie because I think, you know, there's those scenes where uh, he has two different conversations with two different people. One is David Duke. One is the chief of police about what black people are supposed to sound like. Right. And he's like, I can sound educated or I can talk jive, you know, whatever. So I think the portrayal of him was done as, you know, a quote unquote educated African-American. So I think he was trying to. You know, I think Spike Lee was trying to get across that at the time, you know, there's this assumption that everybody who was black at the time, and especially those associated with like the black power movement were like, you know, throwing their fists up in the air and talking jive and doing all this stuff. Well, here comes this one guy who's graduated college and is applying to be a police officer, the first black police officer. So he's, he's taking on, he's taking on an act, you know, he can't be himself. He's trying to get a job. He's trying to be a cop. So he's got to play straight and narrow, play educated to the point that when I say play educated, I mean like so that the white people understand that he's educated and not some, you know, what they would call riffraff or whatever else. And, and I could get on board with that line of thinking if he didn't still act that same way with his girl. Well, Uh, but I don't think, I, I think that was, I don't think he, I don't think he was acting. I think that's who he was in the movie. I think he purposely was supposed to be that way in the movie. So I didn't chalk it up to stiff acting. I talked chalked it up to that's what Spike was specifically telling him to act like. Yeah, it just seemed to me it just seemed stiff. And again, I don't know again if I was putting too much pressure on him for being <laughs> Denzel's son, um, but. I've seen him in, in other things, in which, of course, the first time you see somebody, you feel like that's how they are right. in, in real life, and you see him act a different way. You're like, I don't know which real, real person is is coming out right yeah. now. So it, it was a different for me. I, I thought I thought he did well. It was just more of a it was a, a stiffer performance. Yeah, I know you and I talked about this, and you don't agree, but you could tell from his voice he was Denzel's son. You see, and I, I didn't get that. I was oh looking, I was listening for it, and I was trying to trying to get that. Oh no, he it wasn't always there, but when it was there, it was there. Especially like when he laughed a few times, and there would just be moments where he would say stuff, and like that sounded just like Denzel. Which I'm glad I knew he was Denzel's son, because otherwise I'd have been sitting in the movie theater the whole time, being like, "This guy's voice sounds so familiar. Like, what, where do I know him from?" <laughs> but if you listen for it, I think it's there. And Jess said the same thing. She's like, yeah, he sounded like Denzel. I think there was one time even too, where he like laughed and went like my man or something like that. And that's kind of like a Denzel yeah, right. thing. And yeah, just I, like it. I was looking for mannerisms. Cause I, I've watched, oh, he had no mannerisms like Denzel. I didn't think physical mannerisms. Yeah. I, I didn't think so. I was looking for, cause I, I've seen a lot of Denzel movies recently. And so I, I was looking for those. Cause Den, if you watch Denzel, he does a lot of the same things in almost every movie. Yeah. Even 
when he's perplexed, he does this turnaround thing. He he, he spins uh-huh. uh, a full three sixty before. <laughs> it's, it's like it's like in every movie. And I'll shot. Is it the director that, that's making him do that? Or is that just him? It's trying? his move. It, it is his move. <laughs> and I was like, wait, he does the exact same thing. So now I look for it in every movie. That Did you see him. it in this one? Not not by him. No. Okay. Yeah, but, I didn't. But, but Denzel does it. Yes. And so, and so that's a, those types of things. You know, <laughs> yeah. he just acts. You know, like Denzel. You know, yeah. and so I was looking for those mannerisms. I, I was the same as you, so I did not. I did not think he acted like Denzel. The only thing I got was I thought he sounded like him. Yeah, yeah, and I was I was trying to listen for it. But. Yeah. So the last little bit, I think, you know, I think we can kind of skip through because if you know, people have probably seen the movie and the investigation stuff kind of plays out like you'd expect, like any other thing. There, there's a, a crime they want to stop. You know, the the KKK is planning a terrorist attack and Ron and Adam Driver have to go figure out and stop it. You know, there's Adam Driver's cover gets blown, which happens in every movie. And half the time it's a cop movie. It's blown by somebody that he put in the he, slammer. He put away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's always that. So that's what that's what we meant by like it's a pretty generic investigation cop movie. But it's which ironically, it's a true story. Yeah. So <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's all in the context of all the, the racial stuff that's happening during that time. But so skipping past that, the way Spike Lee decides to end the movie is with another one of the moments that we talked about where he's going to hit you in the face again. One last time before you leave the theater, he's right. going to hit you. Right. And the other thing that we, we kind of didn't mention is, you said it a little bit, but like there's there's pockets of things that happen to Ron and Adam Driver along the way that address the racism of the time, whether it's against Jews or whether it's against black. Like when Ron first goes to apply to be a police officer, the white police chief asks him if he's going to be okay with basically getting taunted every day and getting called the N word every day. Right. So there's things like that that happen all the time when somebody's talking with, or when one of the KKK speeches, he's saying, uh, they say America first, a whole bunch, right? Like that's one of the slogans that they say. Um, there's a conversation between uh, Ron Stallworth and somebody else, I can't remember who, but they're talking about David Duke running for president. And the conversation literally, literally goes like, uh, you know, one of these days, these policies are going to get put in place. It's going to allow somebody like David Duke to get elected president. And Ron's like, no, 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 that'll never happen. I mean, you almost expected him to turn to the camera yeah, and look and then go back, like break the fourth wall. Yeah. So my point with all that is there's a lot of stuff being addressed through the whole movie. They even had David Duke say, make America great again. Yes. You know, it's a, things like that that they're they're hinting pretty hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's beyond a hint. Right. I mean, you would have to be pretty thick or dim-witted, one of the two, to not get what's being said. Right. But again, like Spike Lee. In case like, you didn't get yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> in case you didn't get it, at the end of the movie, he cuts to, I forget how they transition it, but he cuts to Charlottesville with the um, KKK. It, it starts with, they cut to Trump. And then it goes to Charlottesville, and then it goes back to Trump. Okay, see, I thought it was—I thought they were showing like a KKK video of like a march or a cross burning. That's what it was. No, they end the movie on a cross burning going on, and they cut to the Charlottesville people carrying their torches. Okay, but okay. yes, but then they quickly jump to Trump and him saying there's good people on both sides, and then the car hitting uh, Heather Heyer, I think her name was, when she died in that protest. So it was Spike Lee's way again of being like. All right, guys, 
right before you get up and leave the theater, here's one more punch right in the face. In case you did not get everything that I was saying in this movie. There's people still out there. There's yeah. people still out there, and our president's still like this. And, I mean, it was right there. I didn't have a problem with the ending as much. I think probably because it was the ending. So I, I kind of knew, like, all right, we're going to tie this up in a bow, whatever kind of bow Spike Lee wants to put on it. But at that point, you know, there's no momentum left to kill. The movie's done. Right. Um, some people might not like how in your face it is, but you could hear a pin drop in my theater. Mine, mine was different, but it was, uh, uh, like, I, like the Alec Baldwin thing. I was okay bookending it with two things that don't really fit the story. Yeah. You know, that wants to tell a message one way or another. I'm, I'm fine with that. It's just throughout the movie, the momentum stops just, yeah just, just like you mentioned yeah you and i have more of a problem with it actually i think we only have a problem with it from a like a film construction a film making like a technique standpoint right, right it's not anything else and i think that's why we're okay with the bookends because it's like well at that point you've not started your momentum and you've not you've ended your momentum so it make it makes sense yeah but i i would love i mean i guess maybe people so it's a hard movie because for some people, it's maybe going to expose stuff that I guess maybe they don't know is still out there. I don't know how you couldn't in this day and age. But I've read stories online of people walking out of the movie theater. I'm like, what What did you think this was? Like, do you not know? What, I mean, did you truly get tricked by the trailers and not know that Spike Lee is going to have a message? Like, I don't know. It just confuses me as to how you would not go, how you would go into this, say, if you're a Trump supporter. And go into this not knowing what you're about to get hit with. Well, it's definitely not advertised as such message. Sure. It's advertised more as a comedy. Agreed. But I guess I'm adding in the layer of, again, do you not know anything about Spike Lee? Right. (laughs) (laughs) True. And what do you think? You think they're going to paint the KKK in a favorable light? Yeah. You know, so if you kind of know what you're getting into, I think. Right. But even then, I guess like... I guess this is all over the news. Like, so even if you don't like, you know, people are drawing comparisons between the old KKK and today and Trump and all the stuff that's going on. So I don't know. Nobody walked out of my theater. I don't know what anybody thought in my theater, but I just know that there was lots of times where it was like painfully silent. You're just like when Harry Belafonte is giving his speech and the end of the movie, you're just like, Oh, this is, this is as a white person, this is super uncomfortable, which kudos for spike lee i mean that's i think that's what he wants you to feel yeah that's the point i think yeah and i'm one of those people that i think that's kind of the beauty of movies is like i don't go you know do a job shadow or a person shadow in the inner city with somebody so like i mean nobody does that so movies when they give you a chance to experience something through somebody else's eyes that's part of the beauty of of movies so yeah, the fact that I feel uncomfortable, yeah, maybe I should feel. I mean, that's a good feeling. I don't. I don't hate that for a movie. Some people aren't going to like that. Yeah, and they did show David Duke at the end. I guess present day David Duke. Yeah, that was the first time I've ever seen him. Oh, he's yeah. a weird looking dude. I thought I'd recognize him. Oh yeah, yeah I thought I go surely I'd know what this guy looks like, and I was trying to picture somebody like Topher Grace you know, <laughs> you know, be, being this person. And I'm like, I just can't place what he looks like. And then they showed him at the end. I was like, Oh no, well, I, don't, I, don't sh- th- I don't think I've ever seen what this guy actually looks yeah. like. I heard the name, you know, plenty, but yeah. I've never seen him actually one talk to a picture of him. At one point they showed a, an, a clip of old David, not old, uh, younger David Duke. 
and he had like the mustache and everything. And so you kind of see where they got the style, but yeah, like modern David Duke looks, he looks like a, uh, like a, a villain in a movie with like a burn victim. kind But of. still, still a putz. Oh yeah. 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 He's but, not intimidating. No, no, but it was just, it was like, I was like, Oh, that's, that's him. Yeah. Like, I could have sworn that I would have seen pictures of him somewhere. Right. You know, but apparently I haven't cause he didn't, look familiar at all no well that's good i mean well, that's a good thing <laughs> yeah. that's a good, i don't have a lot of david Duke literature you right know, you know but yeah so yeah i you know i would just some people are really not gonna like it from a movie standpoint they may not like it and then some people are you know maybe not gonna like that it shines a mirror on people and i'm neither you or i or anything like <laughs> the white people in that movie but it's still like you know damn you just sit there and because you're you're in the other person's shoes right you're in ron's shoes you're in adam driver's shoes who's white but he's jewish in the movie right you know and i'm not black and i'm not jewish so i i don't feel that every day so when you feel that through a movie you're just like man that that's really moving and powerful and the message i i i really like the whole message and everything it was trying to communicate through the whole movie. Well, they had a really interesting scene with Adam Driver that they didn't really explore more. Uh, they, he said, you know, he is Jewish. He's mm-hmm. never practiced Judaism. He's never grew up, yeah. you know, celebrating Hanukkah or, or doing any of these things. He just like, he just was. Yeah. And then now it's being thrown in his face, kind of who he is. And he's having a real hard time. I, he never really identified himself as Jewish, you know, but he was. Yeah. And, and so it, it was a really conflicting scene. It was a very interesting scene. They never yeah. really went back to it, but it was, but it was like, wow, you know, that's, I that, fully that's clearly ex- not something, you know, a black person could do. Right. You know? and, and that was the one line in that scene. I, I thought for sure the way that scene was going to end was, you know, after Adam talks about now he thinks about all the rituals and all the different things like I figured he was going to say, like, now I kind of understand a little bit more about what it feels like to be black. That That's where I thought, that's what I thought the comparison they were going to, trying to make. I think that is what they were trying to do. He just didn't say it, but I, I was waiting for that line because I thought for sure that was going to be it. Yeah, no, I just thought that was an interesting, because, again, they never revisited it again. No. But it was just, it was another layer they gave Adam Driver's character and right in the middle of the movie. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, we've all, we've known this whole time he was Jewish, but not. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like in the trailers, you don't really, I think, get. I mean, you just think he's a white guy. I mean, well, not non-Jew. Do they say that in the trailer? Yeah, he goes, "Why do you pretend like you don't have skin in the game?" Yeah, that's in the trailer. Okay, but do they say it's because he's Jewish? Yeah, he goes, oh, you're, okay. you're Jewish. Why do you pretend like you don't have skin okay. in the game? Yeah, because like it would be different if it was just a white guy, not Jewish, and I think because then you you don't have to worry about that, but that layer of Adam having to worry also about that coming out. So that, that was a good touch. I mean, I, I really, really, there's so much about this movie. I like the few times that it hit those breaks pretty hard. It was just like, Oh man, it killed any momentum I have. Cause like, you know, I'm one of those people that sit there in the movie theater and I'll be thinking to myself as I go, I'm really liking this. I'm really liking this. Right. I think of it like a four and a half now. I think of it like a four. Right. <laughs> and so when those things would happen, I'm like, Oh man, I mean, that was really powerful. Holy crap. But like, what what's happening over here with Adam Driver and all those guys and yeah so. and because I mean Ron he was a funny guy yeah uh, it was and, a funny story yeah and he he was a funny guy and you're in this funny mood and then it it brings you way down into not funny territory and you're like okay but then they try to be funny again as they build you and you're like 
wait, hold on, I'm not there yet. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm still, I need some time. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm still digesting what just happened. Right, and then they're they're doing some funny stuff, you know. But you're you're not. Yeah, you're not invested in that part anymore. Right, and so by the time they get you back, they hit you again, and, and so it's like it. It's not even a roller coaster. Right, you know, it's. You mentioned the stoplight. I just completely stopped, and I'm yeah. I'm not back on on that that side of the story. Yeah, yet. it's really hard. I mean, that Harry Belafonte story is brutal. I mean, they talk about the guy being killed out in the middle of the streets and burned and all this stuff, and you're just like, oh my god! And that he, he had to hide, you know, because yeah. he, he thought the same thing was going to happen yeah. to him. You know? And you're like mortified. And at the same time, you've got the KKK. I think what they're transposing with is either a a speech or they're doing where they watch Birth of a Nation. And, yeah. and they're screaming all sorts of nasty things and doing it. So like, you're just, I mean, you're like, I was like crouching in my seat, like, Oh God, I'm so uncomfortable and all this stuff. And then, yeah. Then we like pick back up with the action scene and trying to find the bomb. And you're just like, Oh yeah. Like you said, yeah. I, I'm not ready yet. I'm, right. I'm still kind of reeling. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think, yeah, tonally I can see that and definitely flow wise. I can see that. So otherwise though, I mean, there, there's a really fantastic movie in there. No, I agree. So I, I just wish he could have found a way to, to make things more seamless. Because, I mean, he, I could have swung, I'm not going to say what I rated it yet, but, I mean, I could have swung, like, another full star had it been, like, cohesive, and it had a chance to really, really crush it. And it just, yeah, some some assembly did not go well in my mind. Yeah, and I think it, you have all the parts that you need, that if you just uh, go to the editing room, yeah. And clip here and clip there. And you got a really good movie. Yeah. You got a great movie. I will say, though, I, d- I don't know how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because I, I do think the pieces that are in there that are very emotionally heavy are, are are great. And I would hate to see them cut. I just would like, I don't know. I don't have the answer, which is why I'm not a, a director. I sit here and right. talk about them on a podcast. It's, it's, easy, it's easier on our side. <laughs> right, we can yeah. armchair quarterback this right. thing to death. Right. But, I mean, I, I don't genuinely know how I would have done that. And I, I think it would have been a lesser movie without those things. I just, if you could marry them together, it would have been great. Well, see, I think you have enough. And I mentioned that earlier. You have enough with Ron's story. Yeah. That, yes, you would not want to cut some of those scenes from from its content side, but... I think your message and your story still get delivered without them. Sure. I mean, yeah, you don't you don't want to cut those scenes, but I th- still think you get your point across. You so. do, but not as strong. Yeah. And that's yeah. part of what makes it resonate is how strong it comes across. True, but it takes away from Yeah, it's a cause. Yeah, the, you're the, right. the other part of the the movie part of it. Agreed. You know, and that story, so. I agree. All right, well, let's get to the questions. Yep. Uh I'll ask you first. So what would you end up giving it? I gave it a three and a half. Why is that? Uh, I mean, for everything I said, I, I, if you isolate just the cop pieces, it's a really fun, funny, still poignant, still relevant, still message heavy movie. So I, I mean, if it had hit the, if it had done everything perfectly, I probably would have been at like a four and a half. But between the stop and start and the editing and all the things we've talked about before, it just felt like it felt like one message. It's being torn apart by two different ways of getting that message across. And it's like he couldn't decide, like he didn't want to go too light with it because it's a really heavy subject matter. So he threw in a bunch of weight, but couldn't figure out how to like get those two to like meld together just right. So for me, it just 
created kind of a disjointed experience, which we've talked about ad nauseum, so I won't keep going into it, but that's what brought me down to a, a three and a half. And so what was your favorite moment? My favorite scene is the Polaroid scene where Ron gets put on security detail to guard David Duke, which is perfect for this kind of movie, right? Because then you're in this like whirlwind of like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And right. the black guy is having to do security for David Duke. But he has to get a Polaroid with David Duke. And then, right as David Duke admits to it, right before Adam Driver takes the picture, he puts his arms around the two KKK guys. And <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was a great moment. <laughs> and so, what would you change? I mean, we've hammered this point, but you you got to try and figure out some more fluidness to this. I Like I said, I'd hate to see the heavy parts go, but find a way to get them to mesh a little bit better. In theater or a couch? I was happy I saw it in the theater, but I, I think that that's not something you have to rush out and see in the theater. I think you're fine watching it on the couch. Would you pay or would you wait for it to be free? I think it's worth paying for. So, you know, if you're debating Redbox any of that stuff like you can watch it at home but like you know the four or five bucks to watch it at home it's worth it okay and uh popcorn movie or an art house film it's it's an art house film i, I will say it's not full-blown but it's it's definitely more on the artsy side than than your mindless popcorn movies an oscar or a razzie oscar it, it's definitely a little oscar baity and it's you know there's gonna be some people that really really like it and it might be up for some stuff so i'd, I'd give it an oscar and then if you liked what you would like this. I came up empty. I, I don't think I've ever really experienced a movie that's like, there's really, really heavy movies. And then there's not heavy movies. I've never had a movie that's been both, both. at the same time. Yeah. And so like where I feel the cop stuff felt almost lethal weapon ish at times, you know, take out the action, but you know, the interactions <laughs> between driver and Ron Stallworth, you know, or any other cop investigation movie you can think of but then like i had no comparison for i mean i don't know we say this all the time but like how would you combine schindler's list with last boy scout like i don't know but that's kind of what this feels like at times the last boy scout that was, a, that was an interesting pull <laughs> well i i was looking for a white cop and a black cop oh, okay. so i got lethal weapon and i got last boy scout well, last he wasn't a cop but yeah you know what i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, it's like, how do you take those two disjointed things and put them in a movie? And I, I had no comparison. So I, I hate this, that this is one of our questions. And I literally don't have an answer. But everything I came up in my head, I was like, that that doesn't feel right. I can't say that if you liked that movie, you would like this. So yeah. that's where I had the self guilt that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode of, well, maybe it's time Garrett goes and runs through Spike Lee's filmography a little bit more. <laughs> so if you liked a Spike Lee movie, you might like this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> First step would be watching Spike Lee. Movies. Right. Right. All right. So what'd you give it and why? Uh, I, get, I ended up giving it a three um, for many of the things that you, you mentioned. Uh, I liked everybody in the movie um it was more of the again the the shift that it kept hitting me with because even the end scene of you know the wife of the kkk of johnny ringo you know <laughs> yeah. putting the the bomb it can't doesn't it doesn't fit it doesn't fit in the mailbox and so she runs <laughs> and puts it in the car you know we're, we're coming off this this other the speech of this guy being lynched and she puts it in the car and they blow the, the car up and they happen to be standing next to the or in the car next to that car and they yeah. blow themselves up. I mean that that's got some, you know, comedic value to it that you, you lose because you're just not there yet. And I, I think there is a really good 
uh, and, and again, we, we keep being it to death, but uh, there's really good acting and there's really good movie in here. It's just not there in the way that it was presented. Yeah. Favorite moment? Favorite moment was a lie detector. <laughs> that was a good one. And so, yeah, Johnny Ringo takes Adam Driver downstairs and to ask him, he's trying to prove that he's Jewish. Right. And Adam Driver's trying to prove that he's not. And they're back and forth. Just everything about that scene was great. And then you have Ron Stallworth in the car trying to figure out a way to get him out of that situation. And he ends up throwing a rock through the window. <laughs> yeah, and runs away. And then runs away. Yeah. <laughs> Just that whole, that whole scene, the back and forth. And, and, and it's that, why you're asking me that? Is that because you're gay? And, you know, and he's, yeah. he's turning it back on him. He's like, wait, no, I'm not, you know, and then, and it's yeah. th- th- just that whole back and forth. I wish we could repeat some of that conversation on the podcast, but <laughs> no. it, it's a funny conversation. It, it, it was good. And I wish I remembered it enough to be able to quote it, but yeah. it was, uh, but no, it, it was good. I think that was the, the one that stuck out to me. Yeah. And, you know, as we talk about that, that's, that's one thing I, that's so kind of clever about this movie is that usually when it's a cop undercover, they're. You know, the bad guys think that it's a, are you a cop? Are you a cop? That's not what they were worried about. They weren't worried yeah. about that he was a cop. They were worried about that he was Jewish. Right. <laughs> it's it's pretty smart. So what's one thing you would change? Uh, and I mentioned that before is I would uh, I would just stay with, with Ron's story. I think that it's powerful enough to to stand on its own. And you can bookend it if you want to, but, but to stay there, because um, they do give you everything, I think, just in his his experiences alone. Yeah. Theater or couch? I said couch. Um, similar to you. Uh, I don't think you'd be disappointed to see it in the theater. I just don't think it's necessary to, to be in the theater. If, if that's going to be your, one of yours for the, for the year. Yeah. Yeah. Not this one. Gotcha. Pay or wait for it to be free. I think it's worth paying for. I, I agree. That's same, same as you said. Yep. Popcorn movie or art house film. It's definitely more on the art house side for sure. Oscar or Razzie? I think there's uh, potential for for Oscar stuff. Yep. Did you have an answer? So I came up empty, but if you liked Blink, you would like this movie. Well, I cheated because I was comparing it to the Ron Stallworth movie that's in there. Okay. And so I chose The Nice Guys, which is also a they're detectives. They're in the 70s. Uh, it's kind of that buddy cop, but polar opposite. Not, complete opposites but polar opposites and lifestyle it's yeah uh it's a it's a fun movie um not exactly like this right and so i think if you liked black landsman you would like the second episode you're the, going the, the, the other re- direction reversed it. it on but uh but no i think there's you like that time period you like you know the interactions between the characters i think they have a lot of similarities uh i don't think they're they're it's a right right on comparison sure. but i think it's pretty pretty close yeah all right well i'd be anxious to hear what other people thought about black clans but i only know a few other people that have seen it so if you have seen it and you have listened to the episode then leave us a message on facebook and let us know if we're completely off base or whether you're right in line with us but definitely talk to us on facebook go out to the podcast store and write us a review that would be fantastic and we will catch you next time